Hi, and welcome to another exciting episode of Chronically Colon Narnia. This week's episode is Chapter 10, The First Joke and Other Matters. I am your co-host, a he-beaver, and this is my other co-host. <laughs> so, you're you're the co-host and I'm the co-host? We are both co-hosts. <laughs> All right. Um, and... I am a joke. You're not a she-beaver. Well, I was hoping to be a little funnier. <laughs> okay. I am defeated. No, you're funny. You are funny. I'm affirming you. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it's been a while since we recorded last. We're getting back into the groove of it and uh, figuring out how we do this. Uh... So anyway... Um... Let's get get on started. This is a big chapter. There's a lot of interesting things to talk about. Um, the first thing we do in this podcast is we go through the chapter and pick out a bunch of sentences, uh, five to be exact, that we think uh, tell the story of the chapter in a easily digestible way. For those and, who are listening to this episode for the first time, I'm going to tell you what this podcast is since my co-host has forgotten <clears throat> to do so. As oh, he yeah. beavers have often, you know, been noted as being forgetful. <laughs> this podcast is a podcast in which my co-host and I, Chris, and I am Kristen, we discuss the Chronicles of Narnia books chapter by chapter in the wrong order. We are starting with The Magician's Nephew, and we are now in chapter 10. Um, as Chris was saying, we begin by summarizing the chapter by pulling five sentences out of the chapter to kind of summarize the plot and communicate what has happened or what is happening in this chapter to our audience. That is correct. So, Chris, do you have your sentences ready? Yes, I do. In fact, would you like me to go first? I would absolutely love it if you went first. All right. So here are my sentences. Chapter 10, the first joke and other matters. This is going to be a very jokey episode, full of mirth and laughter. Absolutely not. This is going to be our worst and most somber episode yet. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, starting now. Creatures, I give you yourselves, said the strong, happy voice of Aslan. Now that you are no longer dumb and witless, you need not always be grave. Please, Strawberry begged Diggory. Do, do let me get up and take me to Aslan. We must now go back a bit and explain what the whole scene looked like from Uncle Andrew's point of view. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. I do believe that that sentence is going to be my, like... <laughs> My highlight sentence from this entire book. You didn't get that as a tattoo somewhere. No, I just think that like when we get to the end of this book and look back, that sentence, um, that sentence is going to stand out and is going to be something that I come back to. Mm -hmm. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. That sentence is the best. I Yeah, let's just be real here. So I tried really hard on mine uh, this week. The past couple weeks, I've been kind of struggling with getting uh, the chapter down in my summary. I think this one, I kind of nailed it. All right. Did, did I do better? Uh, well, let me... Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that you tried too hard to include Uncle Andrew uh, as he is kind of like a throwaway two-page filler. He's the last two pages of the yes, chapter. Yes, and I feel like he's all two pages of just filler to make this chapter have more content. But, no, I feel like you did a really good job. Thank you. Um, I feel like the making yourself stupider sentence is unnecessary and that you could have done something else in the place of that. Because like you, you should have known I was going to talk about that sentence. It's the crowning you needed sentence it, of this chapter. In, of the book as a whole so far. Okay. All right, here's my sentences. And all these, and all the beasts and birds in their different voices, 
low or high or thick or clear, replied, Hail Aslan, we must talk together. For though the world is not five hours old, an evil has already entered it. Please, Strawberry, begged Diggory, do, do let me get up and take me to Aslan. Uncle Andrew stood trembling and swaying this way and that. So you chastised me for including Uncle Andrew in the summary. No, 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 because you tried so hard to include the sentence about the stupidity, like the trying to make yourself stupider. You gave Uncle Andrew two sentences of your five, and he is... A sentence. A sentence. Okay. It's just that he is scared. We did the same sentence this time. You, we did. We did. The the uh, diggery pleading for strawberry. I feel like that's the best sentence to summarize, like, the the plot element of strawberry being able to talk and diggery pleading with him to, to help him get to Aslan. Because diggery wants to go to Aslan. Like, I feel like that's a great summary sentence just of what happens in this chapter is, like, Animals are talking, and Diggory really wants to talk to Aslan. Yeah. Aslan. Aslan. His name is Aslan. (laughs) You keep saying Aslan, and I am very frustrated with it. It's my accent. I'm Australian. Anyway. Yeah, um, we can all tell. You're from down under. It's a very good summary sentence. Uh, Go team chronically. Woo! Yeah. All right, um, so let's start talking about the chapter. I feel like uh, there's a lot to talk about in this one personally because there's a lot of really weighty lines that tell a lot about the the background of this series and talk about uh, the setting, and I feel like develop it in interesting ways. And so there's a lot of those that I want to get into. Uh, the first thing I have written down in my notes is when we're calling the creatures that are not animals. Mm. And there's this line where it's like, you know, all the fawns and the satyrs and dwarves. dwarves. For some reason, there's dwarves. Uh, But it starts out with saying something about calling the gods. And gods has a lowercase g, but it's there. The sentence also doesn't use any commas, which I find is interesting from, you know, a literary point of view. Yes, there's (laughs) there's two references to gods. There's the river gods Mm -hmm. and the the gods of the of the woods um both referenced yes i found that interesting as well uh-huh. why specifically did you find that that was of note because we have if you are reading these in the correct order and have previously read um the lion the witch in the wardrobe and um prince caspian then you know that there are river gods and there's fawns and there's Correct. satyrs and all of these creatures mm-hmm. within the world um why specifically does this concept of gods stand out to you so much i just thought it was worth noting to start off with because in the sentence it lists four things gods fawns satyrs and dwarfs and of those gods is the only one that is not capitalized mm. okay and so that's a fun little inclusion of, of Lewis's theology, probably, where he's just like, nope, little g, because we're not going to, like, confuse these with actual beings of power like Aslan. And they're, you know, they're lesser beings in some way. But everything else gets capitalized in that sentence, so. Fun. Uh, I'm going to keep talking and rambling and we're going <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I found that sentence I found that sentence confusing because I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be like because there is no comma there between gods and fawns mm-hmm. whether or not like it was supposed to become some kind and it's not capitalized. It's just a confusing sentence. I'm not sure if it's a typo in the text where it's supposed to be gods and fawns and satyrs or if it's supposed to be like gods fawns. Mm-hmm. and satyrs but like there is no like thing that is god's fonts like it's not a descriptive word yeah. and then in the next sentence after that he introduces the river god yeah um and, and the naiads and the naiads who come out of the river 
So yeah, and I I find it very um, and when we're while we're still talking about the creation element of this, we have introduced the song of creation, mm-hmm. the animals singing, and after they have spoken back, mm-hmm. the animals. He then calls forth these other creatures. Yes. Am I getting my order correct? Yes. So he has created these mounds that broke out these animals birthed out of the ground and the earth. But then he speaks into existence and calls forth all of these other creatures, the fawns and the, and the river god and the dwarves. Which I think is a fun inclusion when you're talking about all these myth- mythical beings and beings of legend. And no, there's also dwarves. You know, there's, <laughs> there's just small people. Yes. <laughs> Which is also interesting when we think about, you know, like kind of the, the, the mythos that we've already built around some of these different worlds. Like Charn having a royal line with giantish blood in them. Uh-huh. That we've now introduced dwarves as, a, as another creature into Mm. narnia we also know later if you've read the um, lion the witch in the wardrobe in the correct order the um in the scene with the stone table there are other creatures that haven't been mentioned or listed here as part of the creation like minotaurs and things like that Mm -hmm. that are very much um part of this world but have not been included in this kind of creation narrative yeah. And are also speaking creatures of some kind of intelligence that are not included in this moment of having life and voice breathed into them. Okay. Yeah. Correct. Um, so that was interesting. And then we have more exaltations uh, from Aslan. And he talks to these creatures that he's gathered and Aslan gets a bit of dialogue in this chapter. It's the first time he actually talks, which is notable. Mm -hmm. And he talks to these assembled creatures and basically says, Hey, I picked you guys. You are going to be the ones with voice and the ones with will. And you are above those dumb animals. Dumb in the sense of, you know, they don't talk. Mm -hmm. You are above those creatures and I give you uh, dominion over them. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also tells them, basically, that they could very easily go back to being those dumb animals. Yes. That they needed to take care with what they'd been given. Yes. Yeah. Which I feel like, uh, if we're drawing parallels between Christianity and, you know, the Christian theology and the storyline of the Narnia books, which, who does that? (laughs) That's a crazy thought, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Uh, If we're drawing those parallels, it's interesting here because there's kind of a disconnect with the christian mythos where in the christian creation story you have adam and eve who do not have knowledge of good and evil in the garden and they are told not to seek it out and god says you know this isn't for you you don't have this knowledge you don't need this knowledge and they do it anyway but in this story, we have... We have Aslan saying that an evil has entered the world, and he selects specific yeah. creatures yeah. Well, I wasn't to get... come take counsel with yeah. him. I wasn't getting to the evil part yet. It was no more necessarily like the, the knowledge thing, and Aslan is saying, hey, you creatures, I've given you a special place. You have knowledge. You have yourselves. Don't make me take it away from you. You could go back to what you were. Whereas in the Christian story, you have God almost saying, ignorance is bliss, remain in ignorance of this. And in this story, Aslan is saying, I have given you knowledge. Don't let go of it. And don't be made ignorant. Uh Uh-huh. Because, you know, now the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. (laughs) Uh, you're just going to keep coming back to that. Uh, yes, I am. I, I should have written it on the first page of my notes so that I don't have to keep flipping back to it. But there's fun paper flipping noises, and that's like part of the ambiance of this podcast. Best. Um, but so, so you were saying that uh, 
these that Aslan has endowed the creatures with some kind of knowledge and that he could take it away from them as opposed to him saying to like as opposed to God saying to humans like I have this knowledge available that you are not to seek yes interesting okay uh, I mean, like, yeah, I agree that it's a split, and it's part of the reason that I don't feel like this is a Christian-based creation narrative. Like, I feel like there's a lot of people who draw the, the Christian parallel with Aslan because of the sacrificial nature of, of his love, but that kind of sacrificial um, role for any kind of creature or figure in any mythos exists outside of you know it it, it, sacrifice is a noble thing Mm -hmm. and so people will often say aslan is a christ figure which you can argue one way or the other regardless of of what the author's intention is but at the end of the day like coming and saying here is the background of how this world came to be even if it is a christ narrative doesn't require that there be parallels between the creation narratives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I was just throwing that out there as an interesting uh, comparative point. Uh, we're about to start doing some real hot takes in this podcast saying Narnia is not basically a retelling of the, the Christian narrative. <laughs> Whoa, we're going to get death threats. Um, <laughs> From which one of our listeners? Uh-huh. Uh... <laughs> Anyway, so after this, uh, there's this uh, kind of, not sermon, it's hard It's hard not to use the word sermon, that Aslan gives to the animals. Uh, and then we get to the titular moment of the chapter, and we have the first joke, uh, which I had to read several times to get why it was funny. <laughs> because yeah. it is a whole bunch of people... Saying something in unison in response to this great figure who just, like, tasked them, who just commissioned them. Mm-hmm. And they're all like, yes, okay. And then they're, they're silent, and one last voice goes, no fear! Jackdaw. Which is a very, like, much a non sequitur in the context of this conversation. And everyone just laughs at the poor bird. Also, didn't know what a jackdaw was. Chris had to explain that it's a bird. Um, so did the internet. And, okay, so this one little bird is just like, no fear! And everyone laughs at him. And he becomes the first joke. Yes, but, like... That's That's very sad. That's so sad. He's like, have I made the first joke? And Aslan's like, nope, buddy. You are the first joke. And that's just his title for the rest of existence. That is so sad. (laughs) And then, like, when the people come out and the animals are like, are they lettuce? No, have you ever heard of talking lettuce? The leopard is just like, well, if they are the second joke, they're not as funny as the first one. Uh-huh. And then goes back to cleaning its face. Like, <laughs> rude! He's so snarky! You feel bad for the jackdaw. I do! And I feel and I feel like the leopard is just so sassy. Also, then later when Uncle Andrew gets uh, run down by the animals, the leopard is described as having a sarcastic face. So uh-huh. I can at least appreciate that there's a consistency of how sarcastic and sassy this one animal and is. They're big cats, and they're just... Yep. So sarcastic. They're sassy. All right. Um, so we have the first joke. Uh, why? Why is this important? Why is there a chapter called the first joke and other matters why is this a a plot point do you think i you see i don't know okay about you asking me that directs me back to your sentences mm-hmm. you had a sentence and i'd like you to reread it if possible you had a sentence that said something about not being grave now that you are no longer dumb and witless you need not always be grave 
And I think that was the whole point of this first joke. Mm-hmm. This having a moment of, of levity and laughter and just being like, yeah, no, you don't always have to be somber. Uh-huh. Take this, take this for what it is. It's a it's a moment of teaching for Aslan to say to his creation, like, this is something that you have within you, like laughter oh uh-huh. and then we talk about uh go then ahead. we go from uh talking about like mirth and laughter and fun uh and then we have this second calling i guess where in the last chapter uh aslan calls all these groups of animals together and talks to them and gives them a voice and then we have this second calling Oh, where he, like, chooses the specific animals that he's going to give the voice to. Yes. And then he makes the second calling where he's... He's establishing his council. Yes. And it's not just animals now. We have, you know, the chief dwarf and the river god and some oak tree and the he-owl. Like, we have all these creatures and... And the bull elephant. And the bull elephant. Don't want to forget the bull elephant. And he is calling them to a council and he's just like come with me, we're going to go off somewhere over there and we're going to talk privately because we have other things to discuss. Mm -hmm. And this is about the evil that's entered the world. No, no, no. He said a weevil. (laughs) And then all the animals are just like, an evil? No, he said a weevil. What's that? Because, I mean, and there's this, this fun exchange where we establish that, you know, obviously... Everything in this world is very new. These animals don't know uh, what evil is. And I, I think that's important to, to touch on. Yeah. I also think it's really important that you hear Strawberry say twice that we know so very little. Yes. Like, Strawberry is the one who has actually come here from another world where he has lived a whole life. Uh-huh. And he is the one who's pointing out, like... We know very little, Aslan. We have, we we are ignorant, mm-hmm. but we know so very little. Like, yeah. and, and I find that interesting. That of the of the creatures that are all just like, what's a evil? Um, <sighs> you have this one that is aware of its ignorance. This wise old strawberry. Yep, he's mm. an old country horse. I'm a little sad that strawberry doesn't get to be on the council. Yeah, <laughs> but who else would then take Diggory to Aslan? That's very true. Um, so this is kind of a counterpoint to what I was talking about earlier, I guess, where uh, I was talking about Aslan giving the creatures knowledge. You make this my is... role so much easier when you argue against yourself. I, I do. And, but, Eric, go ahead. Argue with me here. No, 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 no. I wasn't planning to argue with you. Please, go ahead. And then we have this moment where we we show that the creatures are ignorant about a lot of things they don't know what evil is uh and i guess they maybe they weren't supposed to like jadis being in narnia wasn't a thing that was necessarily predestined to happen sorry calvinists um and she wasn't supposed to be there she just shows up and now aslan suddenly has this problem to deal with mm-hmm. like this wasn't a part of his day it's just like, I'm going to create this world and give these animals voices and we're all going to have a good sing-along. And a but, good oh, joke. And a good joke. But, oh, wait, the world isn't five hours old and there's already evil in it. I need to call together a council and figure out how to deal with this. Yeah, I no, I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, there's, there's also beyond just Jadis, you're saying Jadis is the source of evil. Uh-huh. You're also saying, you know, Uncle Andrew is there. And we have talked about how he has that same mark Correct. on him and has done terrible things. And once again is described specifically as being practical as the witch was. So he's he's constantly having these parallels drawn between him and the witch and all of these overlaps. So it's more pr- possibly than just Jadis having come here. Uh-huh. to bring evil here it is it is the kids who have brought with them jadis and uncle andrew yeah so in the in this uh continued theological analogy uh we have jadis as satan in this environment who is uncle andrew 
what role does he fill here, do you think? is it, Or is there a role for him? I've already told you my feelings about this being a direct analogy for any kind of creation Christian narrative. I so <laughs> I'm not going to play along with you. You can spitball if you'd like. Play but... with me. <laughs> Come to my space. Your, okay. your space is filled with things that do not actually line up with what you're trying to make them line up with. Well, I suppose. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you are more than welcome to consider it a Christian narrative. That does not mean that everything is going to have a parallel. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to look for them. So So then we have the animals finally taking notice of the humans that are there. Mm -hmm. And all the stuff has been going on and everybody's been kind of ignoring the humans entirely. Well, they're clearly Uh, just lettuce, Chris. Yeah, clearly just lettuce. As, As far as I know, Aslan still has not acknowledged the humans being there at all which I think is interesting. But all the other animals take notice of them. But he has taken note that evil is present. Yes. He did not take any note of the queen. Yeah. Throwing the lamppost at his head. Yeah. But he is still calling together a council. So he has taken that action and said, that happened, so now we need to do something about it. Now that I'm done creating yeah um and then we have the animals being like hey what are those and the rabbit's just like they are definitely lettuce and like the the jackdaw has this sick burn where he's like perhaps they're the second joke and he's trying real hard to like lose that first joke moniker he's (laughs) like well look why don't you laugh at these fools over here like i'm i'm not that funny um and he's already trying to step away from that role But I find this fun because the animals are puzzling over what these creatures are, when at the same time... They're not puzzling over what each other are at all. Well, no, they they know what each other are. Also, we have already introduced things like dwarfs, who... Look like humans. Looks like humans, as far as I know. And they're not like, oh, hey, those are weird, tall-looking dwarfs. They're just like, is that lettuce? Yeah, no, I had the same thought where I was like, they're children. They look like skinny dwarves. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, th- I think that's that's interesting. <clears throat> but maybe that is a point where they, they don't even know what each other are. Like, had, no animal calls another animal by what it is, I don't think, in this chapter. So I there's no reason to believe that they have that knowledge yet. True. Um. So, yeah, we, we talk about uh, the humans being jokes, and then we get into this v- probably what I think might be my least favorite part of the book so far. Where? Is this very long, drawn-out conversation between Strawberry and the cabbie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see. And I found this to be interesting because it talks very much about the difference of consciousness that Strawberry has has now. Yes. As opposed to what Strawberry... Because Strawberry is talking to the cabbie like he remembers him as if he were a vague dream. Yes. And remembers London as if it were a vague dream. And, and, a, and a rather uh, dark hole, as, as Diggory would have described to London in Chapter 1. And it's an interesting parallel, and it's the same way that Polly describes her previous life when she's in the Wood Between Worlds for the first time. Yes. And it's it's basically the exact same wording. Yes, I agree. And it very much has this kind of, like, and to go back to the Wood Between the Worlds, where you feel like the kids came there and lost something of themselves. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like we uh, disagreed very much where I said this was very much them coming into their own and being able to be at peace for the first time. And you felt like something of themselves was stripped away from them and their memory was lost. Mm -hmm. And then you have this moment where Strawberry has been endowed with a voice for the first time. And the conversation that he has sounds just like Polly and Diggory when they were in the wood between the worlds. Uh-huh. So do you feel like in this process of gaining a voice, Strawberry has lost who he is? Uh, because he's lost memory of 
Well, he hasn't because we get to that. Strawberry remembers all these things. After like, he is directly reminded in the same way that Polly does. Yeah. And and so it, it's... W- w- what I would read it as is the memories aren't necessarily lost because we've shown that with Polly and we've shown that again with Strawberry here and that the memories are still there. It's that they've gone to a different level of consciousness or awareness so much so that this new reality that they're in seems uh, so new and so unfamiliar and so different that it overwhelms them temporarily. And it's like, well, my, my I've previous I've always been life, here. Yeah. My, my previous life was, was so small and so insignificant compared to this. And it's not necessarily that it's not there and doesn't exist. It's just that their mind can only fully grasp this new this new thing uh and i and i think that <clears throat> is a lot more prominent with strawberry who's just like oh hey now i have consciousness which if you're previously a critter i feel like it's got to be pretty freaking jarring to you <laughs> like I, yeah. I can't i don't know what it's like to be a horse yes I but mean, you do know what shocker. it's like to be a joke uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're an animal who previously does not have self-awareness or consciousness of any real sort, and then suddenly you have all that, like you would be overwhelmed by it. You would be like, I have all these new things going on inside my head and you may not even think to recall what your previous life was before that moment. So does this parallel between Strawberry and Polly give you a different perspective on the wood between the worlds? Yes, it did. Okay. And this this informed something else about it, mm-hmm. where we haven't really explored it again, but it's this new level of awareness, I guess, to you know, repeat myself, that Polly and Diggory come into the first time in the Wood Between Worlds, and this is why it doesn't happen when they go back. So tell me... What does that mean about Jadis's experience in the Wood Between the Worlds? Uh, that she's closed-minded. Oh, okay. And the the reason that Jadis and Uncle Andrew can go to this place and, you know, maybe not even remember that they were there, or not even be aware of the fact that they were there, is this complete set closed-mindedness and being set in their ways and having their eyes shut to the possibility of another kind of reality. Okay. What about their experience when they're there, though? You're talking about when they've left. Like, when Jadis is there, she is weak. Mm -hmm. She looks sick. She is almost collapsing under the weight of the sun there. Uh Uh-huh. That's that's interesting. And that's, I mean, that's worth talking more about i mean i could i could postulate i don't have anything prepared for that right now if i was going to just spitball things i could say that uh maybe so much of jadis's power comes from her past and comes from things she knows and things she's done Mm, all the horrible things that she's done that temporarily forgetting all that robs her of everything that she is Mm. like if her if her power is knowledge then losing that knowledge is losing all of her power Okay. So when she comes into the wood between the worlds, she's so overwhelmed with this new reality that she has lost the knowledge and the things that have made her the person that she is. Yeah. And she becomes a shell of that person until she leaves again. Yes. At which point she almost can't remember having lost it or having been in this place that stripped her so deeply. Mm -hmm. It was traumatic. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just wanted to dig in yeah. on that because I, I really like your point about the parallels there between Strawberry yeah. and, and, Polly. I, and And I'll get back to that when we talk about Uncle Andrew and what happens to him later in the chapter because I feel like there's there's stuff to be said there. But uh, yeah, Strawberry and the cabbie have this drawn out conversation. That's an interesting point. And, and then we talk about like how Strawberry feels about the life that he previously lived as a uh, carriage horse. And how miserable that was. The, the, the black <laughs> thing was behind me, following me all the time. And the cabbie is just like, no, it wasn't that bad. Like, uh, let's be real here. What about in the winter when you got to be warm and I was cold? Yeah. 
like and, and so far in the book we we've had the char- the the cabbie as a character who is nothing but like the most kind-hearted soul mm. and like he's like the nicest guy in the world uh and and possibly my favorite character in the book uh and he's and- coming face to face with Strawberry's feelings about Strawberry's life, uh-huh. and, and he strawberry. had tried to do the cabbie had tried to do what he could to make that a very good life for Strawberry. Uh-huh. Always praising Strawberry and his ancestry and his heritage, and like talking about how great of a horse Strawberry is, and taking care of him with oats and things, uh-huh. sugar cubes, and like also things that Kristen likes for yes. our podcast listeners. Oats and sugar cubes. <laughs> I can motivate her to do all sorts of things with those. Anyway. Just don't tie anything behind me. I won't be able to get away from it. Um. <laughs> Try not to. Anyway. Are you going to make it? Yeah. yeah, I think so. So we have, yeah, we have the cabbie coming into this world as this cre- this this character that has epitomized kind of gentleness and kind-heartedness coming face-to-face with how not gentle and how cold London was to Strawberry and what his own role in that was as the cabbie. Uh-huh. So, I don't know, any anything else you want to throw into this conversation? Like, it, it's... No, I mean, I, I just wanted to point out oats and sugar cubes. Yeah. That was the only thing I was going to... You you went way further into that conversation than I had yeah. read into it at all. I didn't even see that parallel. Yeah. Um, and then we have this moment where Strawberry acquiesces and lets Diggory take a ride. Mm-hmm. And Strawberry's just like, yeah, I'll take it as Aslan. Even though Strawberry doesn't know why. And, you know, Strawberry's just like, hey, whatever. I'm going to go along with this. Why not? Very, uh, very agreeable horse, Strawberry is. Yes. Um, I I, I am curious if at some point Strawberry chooses a new name. (laughs) Because now he has that power and it doesn't seem like a very proud, well, war horse ancestry type of name. And at this point, we've also not taken a great deal of note, but... Strawberry is referred to as Horse, capital H, multiple times throughout this chapter, and as Strawberry, but in any of the kind of references to Strawberry being among the other animals, Strawberry is referred to as Horse, capital H, not as Strawberry. Capital um, S. Capital S. (laughs) But what are the strawberries in this world called? (laughs) It's, I mean, we we have a we have a talking oak who is even invited to join the council. Do we have a talking strawberry? Her well, name is Andrea. We'll get there, anyway. Um, and so then the last couple pages of this is of this chapter. The last co- couple pages of this chapter, I feel like, are a complete <laughs> throwaway, and could have been included. As, like, asides of Diggory noticing these things happening with Uncle Andrew hiding in the trees throughout this. But it was a moment that C.S. Lewis stopped and said, I'm going to teach a moral lesson to children Uh about how much your perspective and your desire to perceive something some way. Uh Uh-huh can change and affect the way that you perceive reality. And, like, really hammering this point home. Yes, because Uh we have two pages talking and preaching (laughs) about Uncle Andrew having decided that he is not hearing animals talk or sing and that they are just growling. Yeah. So when all of the animals finally take note of Uncle Andrew hiding in the trees... They're like, look, there's another lettuce. Let's go over and say hi. And they run over to Uncle Andrew. And he runs away, freaks out, because he's being chased by lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And the animals all come around him. And they're like, well, what is it? Uh And he's like, all he can hear is... Or maybe Uncle Andrew is the only sane one here and, like, all the rest of them are just tripping. He's like, I'm talking to the horse. Yeah. 
No. Uh, it's a children's book. <laughs> like, this, this... I, I, I know. This yeah. wasn't written by, like, Why So or anything. This was... I was going to say Hunter S. Thompson and oh. throw in a literary reference there. Oh, okay. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson writes Narnia. If he wasn't dead, man, that would be a interesting book. Um, but anyway... Uh, so I, I do think there's one thing worth digging into here, and that's a callback to my conversation about the web between worlds and perception. And it says something like, it said, and he disliked the song very much. It made him think and feel things he did not want to think and feel. Then when the sun rose and he saw the singer was a lion, only a lion, as he said to himself, he tried his hardest to make believe that it wasn't singing and it had never been singing, only roaring as any lion might in a zoo in our own world. And I, and I feel like we can draw some conclusions here about his and Jadis's reaction to the web between worlds in that there is almost a kind of willful ignorance, perhaps. And But they're not in the web between the worlds. They're not. But this is the it's uh, you know it's an echo in the story. It's a callback, I think, because we we get really into how even though Uncle Andrew has seen these amazing things, like he's been in this world as it's been creating, he's seen animals come out of the ground and like all this, these trees and light and the stars come from nothingness, and he takes all that and does not matter. And yeah, he's just and he like, absolutely is just like. Only a lion. Yeah, only a lion. You know, this is a bunch of scary animals. This place is some, you know, air is really good here. I could turn this into a resort. Like, completely ignores these completely miraculous things he's seen. Yes, which, I mean, is all about perspective and all about your desire to not think and feel things that you, you know. And, and I, I think the important part of that is that the song made him think and feel things he didn't want to think yeah. and feel. And that is the key to it because it it made him feel wonder and awe. And that is the same thing that made Jadis feel that she was outclassed here uh-huh. and that she needed to attack and run. Like, that the only way she could protect or defend herself was to attack first. Because it made her think and feel awe Uh and wonder. And having awe and wonder when you are used to being the most powerful person is humbling and terrifying. And it's nothing that she wanted to do with, wanted anything to do with. And it's very much what Uncle Andrew is going through here where he he didn't want to come here. He didn't want to explore this. He's terrified of this place to begin with. And then you have him being filled with feelings of awe and wonder. And he's just like, I didn't want to be here. I'm afraid of this. Everything is is just fear. And all, all I want to do is see this place with suspicion and fear. Mm. So that's all he's going to do is see it that way. Yeah. Uh, and there's... Only one other thing I really wanted to touch on, kind of the end of the chapter. And I thought it was an interesting line. Uh, Uncle Andrew stood trembling and swaying this way and that. He had never liked animals at the best of times, being usually rather afraid of them. And of course, years of doing cruel experiments on animals had made him hate and fear them far more. Mm, Yeah, the guinea pigs. Yeah. And and I, I think that's an interesting take on his psyche. Because here's a guy who doesn't like animals in the best of times, but he's been doing cruel experiments on guinea pigs for all these years, and those experiments have made him hate them more. Mm. Like, the things he's using, he ends up hating and, you know, fearing and loathing. They're, which... Which I feel like is a really good parallel to, you know, like the human condition of... The way people mistreat other human beings. And we can point to major atrocities in human history where people, when they see another human being as being less than human, mm-hmm. they don't just treat them with the kind of cruelty they would treat an animal. They begin to disdain them. Yeah. And they begin to treat them with absolutely unacceptable behaviors. Uh-huh. And it goes well beyond just cruelty to atrocities. Uh-huh. 
Well, that's a that's a dark note to, to wrap up the chapter on. Yep, that um, is the that is the end of the chapter where we have the animals well, say, um, "Are you animal, vegetable, or mineral?" Yeah, bulldog, which I guess I, if you want to do a, a, a fun little aside, we could talk about why there's a bulldog here uh, when you know the bulldog is, for all intents and purposes, a human creation. Yeah, but there's just suddenly a bulldog. Well, it's clearly <laughs> the superior dog. Apparently, which I, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Because it's not a natural creature, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but then again, neither are satyrs and fawns, so. And river gods. River gods. Uh, are you animal, vegetable, or mineral? It's, it's great. I think that's um, a great thing, too, because, like, you have these animals that don't even know the <laughs> difference between a human and a lettuce. And they're like, are you an animal, a vegetable, or a mineral? they know what minerals are yes but they also don't know the difference between a human animal <laughs> and, a, and lettuce. a lettuce vegetable uh all right so do you, do you want to anything else you want to say before we get into our narnia chopped and screwed section um there was four notes that i had and we've touched on three of them okay the only other note i had was the cabbie's expression Strike me pink. <laughs> did you did you look that up and see what? Uh... I did not look it up, but I just wanted to uh, rub it in your face uh-huh. that when I say paint me blue <laughs> and call me the sky, <laughs> that I don't need further explanation. The cabbie's entire statement is just strike me pink. Uh-huh. So paint me blue and call me the sky. Kristen is actually from the deep south. Uh, I know that doesn't come through in her her lack of accent, as opposed to my very strong Australian one. But if I do go and look up "Strike Me Pink," it's gonna come up as a uh, an informal dated expression used to express aston- astonishment or indignation, which is obvious from context. Yes. However, in 1936, there was a film called "Strike Me Pink." Ooh. Which would be post story timeline, but pre writing of the book, where this movie Strike Me Pink, a comedy musical, um, with Eddie Cantor came out in nineteen thirty six. I mean, it's only got a four point six out of ten on IMDb, so I don't know if C. S. Lewis would have watched it, but <laughs> it did exist within cultural canon at that time. Uh for whatever that actually means to the to the structure of the expression. All right, so... Um, that was delightful. This has been a Kristen Research Minute. Yes, with no <laughs> musical interludes, because I do not want to do that editing on this episode. Okay. Anyway, so... So let's get to... Hashtag... Narnia chopped and screwed. And, and in the... <laughs> we're slowly becoming like... Radio DJs. Um, in this segment, what we do is we go back through the chapter, and in much like the first segment where we pick out sentences that we think tell the story in a really good way, we make our own story, and we pick out five sentences uh, that we create an entirely new narrative with. And so since I went ahead first uh, in the... The the intro. The intro segment. Plot summary. Since I went first in the intro plot summary, why don't you go ahead and go first with your rewritten sentences? All right. I think I will. The children had long felt sure that he could speak, yet it was a lovely and terrible shock when he did. Who ever heard of talking lettuce? <laughs> Such a horrid, (laughs) bloodthirsty din of hungry and angry brutes he had never heard in his life. Wherever he looked, he saw terrors. He watched them very hard, of course. But he wasn't really interested in seeing what they were doing. Only in seeing whether they were going to make a rush at him. Uh, so in your, uh, 
Halloween themed uh, horror story here. <laughs> no, it's it's just it's it is a a tale from the perspective of lettuce. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. He was afraid me. of having people rush at him in the in the great salad craze of 2019. <laughs> I'm well, glad that I could tickle you so much. I wasn't expecting that. I, I, I don't know what direction I thought that would be going, but what, it wasn't about lettuce. <laughs> I, can't, I can't have you go first anymore. It just makes my stories look lame. Um, <laughs> I mean, mine really isn't that great because I don't have any consistency of, of like, uh, plurals and singulars and uh-huh. actual story focus on a given character i have to tell you it's about the lettuce before it makes sense um but yeah no i had a lot of fun just trying to make something goofy Uh because we have a chapter that is about the first joke and it's not funny (laughs) it's not it is literally everyone laughing at someone who was excited enough to express himself (sighs) outside the confines of the group chatter you really identify with this, Jack. I do. <laughs> it, is, it is not funny to laugh at someone who, like, it's like laughing at the person who laughs last at the joke. It's like they're not they're not necessarily laughing. La- like, you're laughing at them because you consider them not smart. It's like you're calling them dumb. You're laughing at them because they laughed last. Or you're laughing at them because they had the most enthusiasm to express something beyond the confines of what everyone else was like here here and you're like yeah and like that it's no like you don't treat people who have that level of excitement that way it's crushing and demeaning and yes i do very much relate to the jackdaw so now that we've moved beyond my personal therapy issues go ahead and share us your rewritten story please chris okay Um, So my rewritten story is as follows. What in the name of Aslan are these? Perhaps they're the second joke, suggested the jackdaw. Laugh and fear not, creatures. For out of them you are taken, and into them you can return. Well, I don't mind, said the horse. Interesting. So I feel like you didn't change a whole lot. You're you're taking things that actually like. You're not changing the 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 connotation of any of those statements except for Strawberry's statement about. Yeah, so something like that. Yeah, uh, my I, I I like that you're giving a different perspective though because like we've seen the sarcastic leopard. Uh-huh. But now you're, like, throwing down with the rebellious horse. The rebellious house horse. Uh, I mean... Hoss. The hoss. Uh, it wasn't... Uh, that wasn't necessarily what I thought going in. And my story kind of centered around the idea of uh, a creation that was done in reverse order here. Mm. Uh, where in, instead of, you know, we have these animals coming into existence and we have the the mythical creatures and we have finally the humans that are talked about last from the perspective of the animals uh in in this story the humans are first and and these animals are coming into the world with humans there and you know taking them in for the first time okay something like that was my uh i don't know yeah I over-explained it. No, but no, that no, was no. My... you didn't over-explain it. But, like, I feel like... I feel like your effort to do that, what you're sharing about, created very much an environment where we we have a different, like, emphasis on the perspective of of Strawberry just being like, yeah, well... See if I care. Yeah. You know? And it, it became more, less about uh, a creation story, like you're saying it's meant to be, and uh, more about uh, the response of the creatures to each other. Yeah. That's where I was going. Hooray! So uh, if you have a story that you would like to uh, share that you came up with out of this chapter, you can go ahead and send it to us on our social medias, which we'll cover at some point. 
I mean, you could always just hashtag Narnia Chopped and Screwed, <sighs> and we will find you. <laughs> it's not meant to sound threatening. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and close out. At the end here, we have this segment that we do uh, that I love and my co-host does not love, where we go through and we give the chapter a, a, <laughs> a rating uh, based on how well we think it did, what it set out to do. And we always use a different rating system. Uh, this week, what are we doing, Kristen? I feel like you are misrepresenting this because it's almost always a one to five rating system. It's just what you're well, using yeah, that's, to rate it with. That's correct. Um, <laughs> so, out of how many different lettuces are you going to rate this chapter? Varieties of lettuce. Um, sure. Why not? Uh, I like how you're the one who doesn't like this segment and you always give me my ratings. Uh, tools. To use. It's faster this way, I promise. <laughs> Alright. Um, <clears throat> so, obviously there's a lot we could talk about in this chapter and there's lots of really interesting background things that it fleshes out and it gives us a lot of unique perspective on the animals and Aslan and Narnia as a whole. There's also a lot of throwaway stuff in this chapter, like this conversation between the cabbie and the horse, where the horse just recalls its very terrible life. And, like, the the, the preachy bit at the end with Uncle Andrew, where Aunt talks about Uncle Andrew's perspective, which, important, I feel like, very wordy for what it was. And so, you know, you, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and then you have uh, this chapter. That's a reference for our older listeners um uh yeah overall i'd say uh a solid three and a half heads of lettuce all right uh, very middle of the road score i think yeah no no no. i i i agree that this chapter has a lot of negative uh, not negative but throwaway uh-huh. um i also feel like I have to reference something our friend uh, and first listener, Steve, told us when... Uh, hey, Steve. Um, what Steve told us recently when we were discussing the podcast with him, when he said that the magician's nephew is asking que- answering questions that no one had about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I feel like this chapter is just the epitome of that. Is this the Phantom Menace of the Narnia universe? Absolutely. <laughs> it absolutely is. And I, that that is exactly word for word what Steve said when we were talking about it. This chapter is the Phantom Menace of Narnia. This is taking the Force and turning it into Metichlorians. This is taking this world of Narnia that we would have properly been introduced to as this mysterious, magical place with a lamppost. And we're like, by the way, there's a lamppost because the witch threw it at Aslan Uh in the middle of the magic of the growth and the birth of this world. And it turned into a young lamppost. Uh And like, so you're taking, (laughs) you're taking that. So... I feel like this chapter absolutely epitomizes everything that's wrong with this book (laughs) and reading the books in this order. And as a result, I absolutely give this a Phantom Menace rating. You mean the HarperCollins order? Yeah. In this this order that we're reading them? Yeah. No. This is... This is the Phantom Menace. I feel like you're going to have a real serious rant when we do our wrap-up episode for this book here in a few weeks. You know... I've had a few real serious rants in my time. Teaser for that episode. Uh, that episode is going to be the first one we have a guest on, so look forward to that. Yeah, in, a, in six weeks. Yep. <laughs> and in just a month and a half. That's not much time at all to wait. Woo-hoo. All right. So feel free to share your rewritten stories with us or just shout us out at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Chronically Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com if you feel like it. And we will see you next time. See you next week. Hello and welcome 
slow chewing hour where I open candies and eat them in front of the microphone. Holy and crap. Why are you so quiet? <laughs> That's my quiet voice. Why are you okay, so Okay, I can pick it up here. Quiet. Look, look, I'm louder now. <laughs> the, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. Uh, I'm sure he's out there somewhere. Listening he, to... He's, he's always listening. Runs away, freaks out because he's being chased by lions and tigers and bears, oh my. And he's like, all he can hear is... Uh -huh. Oh, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna talk about Narnia with you. 